The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you every week, I also write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And uh, my uh, partner, Chen Lin, publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And to avail yourself to those, both of those letters, you can go to uh, miningstocks.com, M-I-N-I-N-G-S-T-O-C-K-S.com, uh, or you can go to jtaylormedia.com, J-A-Y-Taylormedia.com. In fact, I think that's the best place to go to avail yourself to everything that I do, including this radio show. You can go to that site, click on the radio button, and it will take you right to the Voice America uh, to my page uh, and my show on Voice America uh, Business Channel. Uh, we, um, I should mention um, that you can also follow me on Twitter at J. Taylor Media, J-A-Y Taylor Media. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I want to also thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Timmins Gold, Bravada Gold Corp., Golden Arrow Resources, Miranda Gold, Paramount Gold, Sand Gold Corp., and Uranium Energy Corp. Well, before I begin talking about today's show, I, I like to bring you up to speed on some events that have taken place uh, with respect to our sponsors, Timmins Gold, uh, in case you're not aware. Uh, and by the way, the share prices of virtually everything in this sector are down significantly since we started this season and this new year. Um, but uh, Timmins is down uh, to $2.21 in spite of the fact that record earnings last year, record uh, production of gold, earned $60 million compared to $36 million the year before, Gener- uh, produced 94,000 ounces of gold compared to 55 the year before, and is uh, guiding to 120,000 this year. Uh, I think this is a time when the gold shares and the silver mining shares, uh, we're going to look back and say this is one of those woulda, coulda, shoulda moments. And uh, there are a lot. There are some disappointments to be sure. Bravada Gold, um, unfortunately, uh, Argonaut dropped the option on Wind Mountain, but uh, that property remains good. And uh, to the extent uh, Bravada can can stay alive without diluting itself too much, 
I think this also could be a huge success longer term. I still believe very much in the company. It is a recommendation, as all of the companies uh, that are sponsors right now are also recommendations in my newsletter. Golden Arrow Resources, certainly an exciting company. We're going to be talking to Joe Grasso, uh, and his geologist will be with us as well in just a few minutes from now after the first break. But Golden Arrow is on to something I think could be very special, the Chinchalis uh, silver deposit in Argentina now, um, already early on here over a hundred million silver equivalent ounces uh, and some good metallurgical studies uh, have coming forth as well we'll be talking to uh, to the company Joe Grasso uh, in just a few minutes about that and uh, Miranda Gold another sponsor to the show selling at 22 cents this is a company uh, with 17 million dollar market cap just recently signed up with Agneagle Eagle uh, as a strategic partner in Colombia picked up some very good uh, interesting properties. Paramount Gold, another sponsor to this show, selling at $2.14, has nearly just under 10 million gold equivalent ounces in both Mexico and Nevada, the two properties there. Sand Gold uh, has really fallen down in price. I continue to have uh, hope for this company and believe it's a real turnaround uh, situation. We'll be talking to Sand Gold in the near future. 12.5 cents uh, is what it's selling at. And Uranium Energy, the first uh, uranium producer in recent times. In the United States, a new uranium producer, uh, Amira Nani, will be with us as, as well. Well, this morning I was really fortunate to meet up with David Stockman. That's President Reagan's budget guru. Uh, he was perhaps the last honest person to occupy that position. Uh, maybe President Reagan made a mistake on that one. Uh, you may recall uh, needing to take David to the woodshed. Well, he's just published his book, uh, called The Great Deformation. He was in New York today to talk about that. David has agreed to come on this show in the near future. I expect to have him on to talk about why uh, why we are in the kind of mess and the trouble we're in and what needs to be done about it. But not only was I fortunate to meet up with David Stockman, I also ran into liberty-loving Judge Napolitano, uh, who is the senior judge. Uh, judicial analyst at Fox News Channel, and Judge Napolitano said he would also come on this show. So we have those two gentlemen coming on sometime in the near future. should be uh, very, very fun talking to them. Um, when I'm on the topic of future guests, I should say we have so many more coming on. This is what makes this job so much fun. I have so many interesting people to talk to. Dr. Karen Hudis is going to be coming on. She's a former senior counsel to the World Bank, uh, and she has become a whistleblower, blowing the whistle on corruption and how money is being transferred not to its intended uses to help poor people and, and help uh, developing countries develop, but rather to the rich and the powerful. And Dr. Hudis uh, will come on our show supposedly on the 11th of June, assuming she's not in jail. And I say that because Eric Holder, uh, his office... Um, uh, she is having to appear. Apparently, she was handcuffed uh, and detained uh, when she recently set foot in on the World Bank premises, uh, and so she is going to be. Uh, she has to appear in front of Eric Holder's office. One wonders if she isn't uh, perhaps being silenced, or they don't, or they might not try to silence her. And uh, we will uh, hopefully talk to her in the near future. Well, due to some very severe weather, one of our guests today, uh, namely Ed Qualls, will not be able to be with us, unfortunately. Uh, we will try to get him back again sometime on our show because I think he has a lot of very interesting and important things to say. But speaking of David Stockman, uh, in Ed Qualls' uh, absence, I am going to play, I ask Matt Widener, my engineer, to play a speech given uh, in New York uh, in the middle uh, in the Mises event that took place back on September 26th of 2012. 
that will be played at approximately uh, 3.35 New York time or something like that. Uh, David uh, will explain uh, in that speech, and we did play it once before on this show, uh, he will explain how and why the policies are, that are being carried out now are, in fact, destroying capitalism from the inside out. David Stockman talks about how this tremendous, and he mentioned it again this morning as well in his speech here in New York, $450 billion a year being taken from the pockets of American savers, transferred to the banks, and making the banks whole after they uh, squandered their wealth in the gambling casino leading up to 2008. Well, I'm really pleased, though, that uh, Ted Butler and, um, and James Cook will be with me at about 4 o'clock today. We're going to talk to both of those gentlemen about uh, the gold and silver markets, especially silver. Ted Butler and James Cook are both very, very bullish. They're believing that we are in the process now of bottoming out, and this is going to be a fantastic time to buy gold and silver shares. Ted is especially, especially bullish on silver, and he'll tell you why. Uh, and why he thinks now is a great time to start buying. And speaking of silver, one of the most exciting emerging silver players, I believe, that uh, I know of anyway, is Golden Arrow. <clears throat> Excuse me, which, as I mentioned, uh, is a sponsor of this show. We're going to be talking to Joe Grasso uh, as well as his, uh, as his geologist, Brian uh, McEwen, uh, in just a moment. In fact, I think we're just about to go to uh, break and... Um, well, just a, just a note about the Chinchillas property, as I noted, uh, already has a all-in 43101 resource calculation of in excess of 100 million uh, ounces of uh, equivalent ounces of silver. Um, so we will we will talk to them about that. Some also some good news recently on the metallurgical front, which is also very very important when you're looking at projects. What is the upside in terms of uh, deposit. Uh, nobody knows, of course, until the drills turn, uh, until the drilling is done and the statistical analysis is carried out. Uh, and uh, mining is a very complex business, putting a project together. Lots of science goes into this. So it's not an easy business. It's one of the toughest businesses in the world. But when it works, uh, it can make people wealthy. And I think that, uh, well, certainly I think there's the prospects of, of this company, the Chinchillas Project, being very, very kind to the shareholders uh, of this company. Well, we do have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we will be, uh, hopefully, we'll be talking to Joe Grasso as well as Brian McEwen, his uh, geologist. Don't go away. Be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. 
Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Joe Grasso. He's the president and CEO of Golden Arrow Resources and also uh, geologist Brian McEwen. Welcome, both of you gentlemen, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. We thank you for inviting us, uh, Jay. It's a great pleasure always. Well, it's a great pleasure talking to people when you have good news. And you guys have just come out with some very nice, I think, very good news, encouraging news. The market doesn't seem to care. I mean, you guys could could find a Fort Knox under the ground and the market wouldn't respond, I think. But in any event, um, the news that seems to be very, very good to me as one who's watched these kinds of companies for more decades than I care to uh, to remember, your Chinchillas project in uh, Argentina. Uh, Joe, uh, talk to us about that. You have 100% of that project, right? Yes, we do. And, the, uh, and you... Yes, go ahead. And, and you're embarking on a, are you drilling there now, I think? We just finished one uh, stage of drilling, which is the second that we did. And we're extremely pleased with the results. Uh, as, uh, as you know, just recently published. <coughs> uh, Jay, I really appreciated those intelligent remarks, like uh, what happened. One of the, one of the things that we at uh, GRG are facing is that uh, the mood of the market. We don't take it too adversely. Uh, We just go to work. Now, it's a new story. It's a new result. We are delighted with it. And uh, we are beginning to tell the story, and this is day one. Uh, The the fact that the stock hasn't made any sporadic uh, run, it's quite understandable. It's a just came out. It's been a long weekend in Canada, and uh, we are in the process of starting a very comprehensive uh, communication program, which I think will make a difference. Well, I'm glad to know that our listeners are among the first uh, to hear about this story because I do think um, that it looks like you might be on to something special at Chinchillas. Uh, talk to us, Joe, if you would, just tell us what your results were in terms of the, uh, the resource. What is your resource there now? It's, it's the first resource calculation on the project, I believe, right? 
It is uh, the first results calculation for complying with uh, 43101. And uh, obviously, uh, at this point, Jay, I will be very candid in saying that uh, uh, we are astounded at the amount of uh, resources that we were able to put together. And this gives us uh, uh, a serious option in doing two things. One, continue with our uh, program. And because of the, uh, because of the magnitude of uh, totally unexpected at this level, up to two, two drill programs, uh, we're continuing with everything that is uh, to be known about doing a model, about continuing with all the various impact studies, just as though we're uh, we're we're going towards the direction of putting it in production. The same okay. at the same time, of course, uh, when we're going to be doing that, we will have uh, an eye for doing the essential work uh, and conserve funds at the same time. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that. The other alternative is that there, it has been demonstrated a very serious interest by bigger companies who would like to talk to us about a deal. <clears throat> we obviously, in an opportunist way, we're business people, and we feel that uh, with uh, the best, uh, the best interest for the shareholders is that we maintain a, a flexibility going one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're very pleased with that. Well, Joe, one of the things, of course, that we're all of us that are in this sector, invest, investors in this sector, really concerned about, especially in this marketplace, is cash. Uh, what does your cash reserve look like at the moment? At the moment, we're uh, at ten million dollars, uh, all inclusive, and uh, we feel that we. Uh, if we plan our going forward, as I said, by doing due diligence as to what is important at the moment and what is not important, and uh, I have the utmost faith in Brian and his team that it will be going forward positively, but with an eye to conserve money. In that case, I feel that we have... Uh, uh, at least a couple of years uh, of uh, funds on hand right now that we don't have to raise any more funds. Uh, and if the market will will uh, will uh, change, then uh, I can assure you that the most important currency that the company has, it's a strong share price. If we are successful in telling our story, as I think I, we will, and uh, then we could be looking at uh, speeding up and doing uh, more extensive drilling. We do have the targets for those drilling. We will be able to, if we were able to raise money without a, uh, the, the incredible dilution that we would suffer now, we will go ahead and do it. But at the moment, we're going to maintain a, a very cautious position, conserve funds, but, it, but continue with the, the progress needed to improve the, pro, the project. Well, uh, Brian, uh, it seems to me uh, you come out with some, some pretty exciting news. Uh, there was talk. Can you give our listeners some sense of the target size? How much of that has been drilled so far and to what depth? And, you know, t- 
talk a little bit about what, to what extent the, the deposit is open in various directions. Sure, Jay, happy to do that. Um, we started drilling this uh, program, uh, the, the deposit here, with an idea of the size of the deposit and uh, that it was going to be contained within uh, uh, an upper area in the, within a caldera type uh, environment. We, we drilled, um, we, we started to step out uh, to, in all directions and, and started to drill deeper into the basement and we had some very, very pleasant surprises and we came up with a combined indicated and inferred resource of uh, 80 million ounces of silver and you know, over 100 million with the, uh, um, uh, with the credits for the lead and the zinc uh, as equivalent grades. When you look at the other deposits that are in this, uh, in this belt, the Bolivian tin belt, I mean, they're quite prolific uh, with San, San Cristobal, Verquitas, and, and others. That, you know, all of those are plus 200 million ounce deposits. Uh, as ours is open in, in all directions, um, I, I see no stretch of the imagination for, for us to be able to, to hit that kind of target. Um, right now, we're, we've, all of the drilling, or majority of the drilling, has been in the, in the tight area that I spoke of to define a resource so we could go ahead and, and advance the project uh, through some sort of an economic evaluation, which is what we're, we're doing now. But it's open to depth, and I guess the big surprise here was in the basement rocks, and there, and there I think I've heard some talk about a feeder zone. Yeah, uh, well, the, that, that's, that's, that's absolutely correct. You've got the, the main area that comes up through the, through the volcano, the volcanic action, and um, the main flows, the main areas that these come through, we, we've, we refer to as the, the feeder zone, and we can follow them through the deposit where we found them already, and we, this is where we get these spectacular bonanza-type grades of 15,000 grams and 5,000 grams per ton, um, and, and those end up being close to the feeder zones. And as we step away from the feeder zones, as we go further away, the, the grade tends to drop off. So being able to delineate these feeder zones from a production point of view is, are going to be critical, of course, because uh, you, know, you mine the high grade first in your, in your startup pit pay down capital. Mm-hmm. And is this, uh, at this stage, is this an open pit target? And that was one question. The next one is, what was your average grade? Well, the, the average the average grade of the deposit, if you just look at the uh, indicated and inferred, is 141 grams per ton. When we take the uh, uh, lead and the zinc um, grades, that's an equivalent grade. Uh-huh. And that was 100, 119 grams per ton silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's in the indicated. And then in the inferred, you know, we end up with a, a grade of 78 grams per ton uh, and an equivalent grade of 107 grams per ton. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some work still to be done on, on, on delineating those um, those numbers and, and better sure. great. Sure, and, and we're looking at an open pit target here? Yeah, I'm sorry. From what we've seen so far, I mean, what's interesting, one of the most interesting things about this deposit is because it's come up in, in, in through and then settled down within these mantles, it's, um, it's sub-horizontal parallel to the, to the surface. There's mm-hmm. no pre-strip. It occurs right from surface down. So the upper area, the, what we're looking at right now in the... In the um, in this part of the silver mantles pit, we're looking at about a three to one strip ratio in an open pit. Uh, as far as where it goes beyond that, right now it looks like we've only drilled it down to about 200, 250 meters and it would still be open pitable. But as we get into these feeder zones, I mean, the chance of a, a deeper underground target are, are very possible. Oh, that's, that's really exciting. You know, this is your, your, this is really your flagship, isn't it, Joe? I mean, this is the Chinchalas is really, really exciting. But you are sort of a project generator company, too, and that's one of my favorite models. I think everybody likes it, especially in this kind of market condition. But, Joe, you have the Mogoti 
uh, project that it looks it's a copper gold gold copper target I believe that you have a major company valet spending seven and a half million dollars on we've got about two minutes left could you talk to us a little bit about that Magoti project where does that stand now well, it's, it's still going as far as uh, we're concerned. I spoke to uh, the general manager of South America, and he indicated that the results are not in, and therefore there has not been a decision whether uh, they're continuing, not continuing. I must say with a, with a, with, with a certain amount of uh, caution here that, that uh, finding partners for the high altitude of four or 5,000 meters at this point is... Uh, not very fortuitous. Uh, it, uh, we have to uh, look at the lower grounds mm-hmm. and uh, make Chinchilla our um, <coughs> our, pro, our key project for the time being. I think that we will be back without a question to uh, more normal time when the the giants are found on the on on the on the borders of Chile and Argentina, which is west. Well, you have so many projects in Argentina. We don't have time to talk about any more of them. We're almost out of time. But people can check out Chinchillas. You really owe it to yourselves, folks, to check out this company. Joe, your website, so people can go there. What is it? www, of course, goldenarrowresources.com. Absolutely. Folks, you should do that. You should go there, check it out. You can learn all you need to know about this company uh, and and a lot of different projects. Joe Joe Grasso uh, obtained projects in Argentina, one of the first pioneers to go down there and and, uh, and acquire a whole lot of very highly prospective properties. And uh, I think the shareholders... Uh, well, a good chance that people are going to do very well with this company. No guarantees, never is in this business. It's a risky business, no doubt about it. But things are looking very good, and I want to thank both of you uh, for being with me today. Folks, uh, we do have to go to a break. When we come back, David Stockman is going to, uh, is going to talk to you about why he believes Ben Bernanke is destroying capitalism from inside out. Don't go away. David Stockman will be right here with you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Paramount Gold is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce advanced stage gold and silver projects in the mining-friendly jurisdictions of Nevada and northern Mexico. Backed by a strategic investor and a strong balance sheet, an experienced management team has completed preliminary economic assessments on both projects, showing robust economics and immense potential for increasing ounces and mine life. For more information, go to ParamountGold.com or follow on Twitter, PZG News.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Well, thank you very much, and uh, good morning. Uh, until yesterday, actually, Lou, I had been thinking this would be an ideal occasion to deliver a very erudite and philosophical summary of this uh, book I've been working on now for a couple of years. Um, and then yesterday happened, and the Fed did it again, and I ended up thinking uh, this is the final abomination. This has gone too far. I'm pu- it's street fighting time. Uh, this is beyond the pale. <laughs> I mean, it's undiluted lunacy. It's QEI, quantitative easing forever, which means we're going to print ourselves to death uh, as an economy. And so uh, instead of the erudite philosophical view of wh- how capitalism is being destroyed uh, by statist philosophies of one type or another, I'm going to launch into a full-strength full tirade about the Fed, just in case anybody's interested. And I think you have to start by saying, before you get into any of the obvious issues, the problem today is the Fed is being run by the single most dangerous man ever to hold high office in the history of the United States. And I would say, in fact, he is more dangerous than most of the other well-known culprits that I can think of put together. He is more dangerous than Geithner, than Larry Summers, than Alan Greenspan, than Hank Paulson all put together. We would have to reach back, throw in a few old-timers like William G. Miller and Arthur J. Burns, and we still wouldn't be there. In fact, I'd have to go all the way back to Mariner Eccles uh, to come up with a package that could... Uh, add up to the damage he's doing. As a matter of fact, when you think of what's happening today and what this Fed is doing, you almost wish that Mariner Eccles would come back to life and that we could put him back in in charge of the Fed because at least, and some of you may know your history, you read a lot of this stuff, I know, at least you would know that Mariner, Mariner Eccles, who was the first modern chairman of the Fed in 1935, was a uh, Keynesian, no doubt, uh, early for his time, but he was a fiscal Keynesian who actually believed that money printing was bad, that it would fuel speculation, and that if the government was going to rob the people, it should do it the honest way with taxes. Now, that was, uh, that was Mariner Eccles back in 1935, and, uh, you know, today when you look at what the Fed is doing, robbing the people in so many different ways, uh, you almost uh, wish that he uh, would come back. So I want to uh, kind of do an indictment here. I'm going to tick off a few things, and I'm sure I'll miss a few, and maybe if there's some Q&A time, we can cover them. First, it's obvious that this is the death of capital and money markets. There is no doubt about it. The capital markets do not, in money markets, they don't price anything anymore. They don't discount any future They don't allocate capital anymore. All of this is simply a vast, frenzied trading against the last maneuver and the last uh, utterance of the Fed. 
After all, if interest rates uh, in the money markets are going to remain zero through mid to uh, 14 or 15 now, that's six years of zero interest rates. How in the world can anybody believe uh, that when you have three, two or three percent inflation as measured officially, and probably a lot more than that if measured honestly, that six years worth of holding the interest rate to zero has not completely destroyed and savaged any capacity of interest rates to signal things and to perform the price function that is essential in capital markets. Uh, likewise, how can anyone believe if they're going to be massively intervening in the so-called middle of the market, buying $40 billion of MBS a month, and on top of that, continuing Operation Twist at about that amount, how can anyone believe any longer that the yield curve means anything? The yield curve is supposed to mean something. That is the heart of the fixed income market. It is the heart, really, of the capitalist economy of the world. And now it is being explicitly, um, you know, unabashedly, uh, uh, in totally acknowledged way, being manipulated and twisted and uh, torqued and turned in order to meet some fanciful notion that the Fed uh, uh, Open Market Committee has, the Monetary Politburo, as I call it, but certainly without a yield curve in the fixed income market, which is tens of trillions worldwide, uh, the, the uh, markets uh, obviously uh, can't function. And the same is true of equity prices. They don't discount uh, company earnings anymore. They simply discount the next uh, Fed press release. When you have interest rates suppressed to this level, the 10-year, the central rate in the world market, the 10-year U.S. Treasury, pushed down to 1.7, 1.6, 1.5, and their goal is to even lower it more, although it backfired on them yesterday. Uh, when you do that, that interest rate, which is the fundamental pricing mechanism of the capital markets, is the reciprocal of asset values. And so, by definition, the more you push down the long-term interest rate, the more you're inflating the value of every asset class that you can think of, uh, both uh, financial assets, real, uh, real estate, commodities, and so forth. And so, therefore, the effect of this interest rate uh, repression or financial repression is to misprice all the asset classes in the world. And that then uh, is another part uh, of the witch's brew that's uh, uh, emerging out of this. So when you put all that together and you say the yield curve doesn't mean anything, interest rates don't mean anything, asset prices uh, are totally, uh, uh, assets are totally mispriced, the equity market is simply uh, uh, trading the Fed, what, what it means is that you've completely hollowed out and destroyed the capital market. In effect, in a metaphorical sense, there is no one home on Wall Street. There are simply computers trading word clouds with each other emitted by this central bank or that. And uh, the obvious point is, how can you have a capitalist economy how can you uh, restore capitalist vibrancy and growth and all of the things that even uh, the Romney campaign is talking about if you've destroyed the capital markets which are at the center, which are at the heart, which are the lifeblood of the capitalist system? I don't think you can, and that's why I think that in the long run, 
this central bank issue is not simply about printing too much money or some hyperinflation down the road or even what I've talked about here, the clear and total distortion of financial markets and the price signal. This is really about the destruction of capitalism from the center out. Because if the central bank destroys the financial markets, uh, capitalism uh, is going to languish. And then the people will blame the bad outcome uh, on capitalism. And then legislative uh, action uh, will add even more. Now, um, the one way to look at this, uh, in terms of, and all of you are aware of this, but how addictive, addicted the capital markets have become to the latest nuance and move and maneuver uh, and slight change in statement of the uh, Open Market Committee and the Fed is a study probably some of you have seen, but in this particular morning after yesterday in the uh, crazy reaction that occurred in the risk asset markets around the world, this is really a good statistic. Somebody went out and went back and sorted the movement in the S&P 500 from uh, early, I think mid-1994, when Greenspan finally began to go off the deep end, it took him a couple of years, but uh, he, he uh, ended up way off the deep end. But anyway, if you take that point until yesterday, the S&P 500 index, which is, after all, the measure uh, of the heartland, let's say, of risk assets, went from 425 value in early 94 to 1460 yesterday. But... If you remove from that 18-year history each 24-hour period before uh, the FOMC uh, met, then the index did not quadruple from 400 roughly uh, to uh, uh, 1460, but it went from 425 to 600. In other words, in the whole 18 years, the S&P 500 went up at about 2% a year, except in the 24-hour segments before the 12 or, uh, I mean, the 9 or 10 uh, FOMC meetings a year, all the rest of the gain. So 85% of the gain occurred uh, in the 24-hour windows uh, before each Fed meeting. So we have a Fed-run economy. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And and as I say, when the Fed is running the economy, uh, capitalism can't survive. Second, I think it should be obvious that this also means the death of fiscal governance, if we're not already there already. Um, and I think uh, we're doing, uh, they're doing a pretty miserable job. But when you tell the uh, Capitol Hill and when you tell the congressmen, even some of them that might uh, uh, wish uh, uh, to be, you know, marginally responsible, when you tell them that you can borrow one year at 15 basis points, which you can this morning, or three years at 35 basis points, or out to five years at 75 basis points, from Washington's point of view, that's a rounding error. That's close enough to free not to worry about the carry cost of the debt. And so they don't, and so they kick the can, so they defer the tough issues. What congressman really of either party, uh, and no matter how corrupt he is or maybe uh, brave, wants to uh, bite the bullet, fall on the sword, disappoint constituencies if you can borrow for another year and hope things get better uh, on the margin for 40, 50, or 60 basis points, which doesn't uh, add up really to anything in the scheme of things. The problem is this 
Interest rate uh, repression is only deferring the day when the whole thing explodes. We are now objectively at the point where we have 20 trillion of debt. I mean, they say it's 16.3, but there's so much built into the pipeline that you can say today it can't be stopped even if we had a total miracle and change of mind. There's 20 trillion. That means that if interest rates normalize, I'm not talking about some real, infl- uh, you know, inflationary flare-up or some huge uh, collapse in the financial markets, which I think is going to happen. But if they just normalize, they would go up by 300 basis points because right now the weighted average cost of the federal debt is 2%. So if it went up to 5%, it would mean that the carry cost on the debt today is being understated by $600 billion a year. In other words, before they even begin to think about any entitlement they might reform, whether or not they could possibly see the logic of cutting defense in a world where we don't have any enemies, uh, industrial enemies left, uh, in a world where, uh, you know, Romney is waving the bloody shirt at Russia. Why? I mean, Russia is a kleptocracy. They love to steal from each other. They don't have time to steal from other people. So uh, why do we have, uh, you know, this uh, enormous defense budget? Uh, So what I'm saying is that even if there was some inclination to begin uh, to uh, uh, grapple with those issues, uh, as long as you make it so simple uh, as they are today, as the Fed is, um, to finance another increment of $100 billion a month or another trillion a year, uh, this will continue and we'll bury ourselves and even, uh, in even more debt that can't be handled. I think the third thing that came out of yesterday is that this is the real class war. Now you hear about that and you know, hear about it all the time in the campaign. But the real class war in America is that the Fed has declared war on savers. The Fed has declared war on thrift. The Fed has declared war on the fundamental mechanism of a capitalist economy where people are rewarded for deferring consumption by saving so that that pool of savings can go into reinvestment and all the other things uh, that we know about on which a real, vibrant, growing, thriving capitalist economy is uh, built. And so we have a determined, explicit, acknowledged policy in the Eccles building at the Fed to punish and essentially destroy savers. I just saw this morning, six-month CD, 40 basis points. That's all you can get. So uh, what are we telling people uh, about the future? What are we doing to people who have already retired, maybe with a decent nest egg? What we're saying is that if you expect to get any return on this, as per Bernanke, you can't keep it in some place that's safe. You have to go way out on the risk spectrum, and we're making granny buy junk bonds so that she has enough uh, uh, income coming in from the nest egg that her uh, deceased husband left her so she doesn't have to you know, buy dog food for dinner. That's what this Fed uh, policy is doing, and it is profoundly destructive, uh, I think, in a social sense, and is profoundly destructive in terms of everything that's wrong with our economy. We've been on a debt binge uh, for the last 30 or 40 years. Everyone knows that. There's one figure that I use over and over, and I'll repeat it today, because I think it really captures the essence of where we are and why this policy is so wrong-headed and destructive. 
1980, we had $5 trillion of debt in this country, public and private. In other words, the whole credit market debt outstanding, government, financial sector, households, business, and so forth, a GDP of $3 trillion. So the ratio, let's call it the leverage ratio of the economy, was about 1.5. Now, the interesting thing is that that leverage ratio had been at 1.5 for 100 years. You could actually go back to 1870, and the best they can put the statistics together, it was 1.5. And in between, we had war and peace and boom and bust and William Jennings Bryan and Calvin Coolidge and a lot of other things. And during that entire period, it, it was very close to that 1.5 times. It seemed to be the natural leverage ratio for an economy. Then we went, we took off in 1980 and went to the races. Today we have 53 trillion of total uh, credit market debt outstanding on the economy. Uh, we have a 15 trillion economy. We are now leveraged 3.5 times, uh, uh, 3.5 to 1. Way off the charts, you just look at it, it's a straight line in history, and then it's a hockey stick straight up. And that is a big number, I understand, but if we had stayed on the beaten path, if we had stayed on what I call the golden constant, which seems to be uh, uh, been valid historically, and it was consistent with a stable economy and growth, and we were at one and a half times debt to GDP today, we would have $22 trillion of debt on the uh, uh, U.S. economy, public and private, not $53 trillion, which means that we're lugging around $30 trillion of excess debt, you know, uh, in the household sector, on the business balance sheets, on the financial institutions, and more and more on government. And if you have that much debt and you're that far off any kind of historic norms, why would you have a policy at the central bank which is trying to force people to borrow even more and discourage people from saving when obviously uh, we're totally upside down. Uh, now, the next uh, thing that I think is coming out of this is what I would call the real triumph of crony capitalist corruption. Because when the Fed engages in this kind of central planning sense, when it is all over the market, all the time, giving out signals and manipulating every aspect of pricing in the capital markets, the yield curve, and the cons con components and constituents of the yield curve. Like yesterday, the smart guys knew there were certain kinds of MBS, mortgage-backed securities, to buy because they were going to rally on the Fed's announcement that uh, uh, they were um, going to buy $40 billion a month. But there were also certain kinds of MBS to sell because these were older MBS with higher interest rates and now that the Fed is driving the mortgage rate down even lower, those are going to prepay at a higher rate than previously assumed. The negative convexity is going to eat people alive. And so yesterday, some people shorted negative con convexity and bought the MBS that the Fed is going to be buying, made a killing, and this is supposed to be a capital market. Uh, now, for some reason, Goldman Sachs uh, printed the day before exactly what the Fed was going to do. And uh, if they were so bold, I might say to uh, print it uh, in a, a message to their unwashed uh, uh, clients, I can imagine what they were telling uh, the real insiders. Now, my point is that if you saw what happened yesterday coming, and it was well telegraphed, I believe a couple of thousand people made $50 billion yesterday in 50 minutes as a result of the radical, sudden, lurching move, moves that occurred in the uh, uh, fixed income markets 
as a result of this announcement. The Treasury bond actually rallied, or the MBS, the uh, mainstream Fannie Mae 3% coupons, rallied in a few minutes by 1%. Now, when you realize there's about 5 or 6 trillion mortgage-backed securities, Fannie, Freddie, uh, Ginnie Mae, and then a, a couple trillion or so that are left uh, from the uh, private uh, label issuance. All of those were powerfully and massively affected yesterday by the announcement of the Fed, and the smart traders were positioned, laughed all the way to the bank, and captured the windfall. Now, the reason I think that is important is I don't begrudge some guy who was smart enough to do that, but I do condemn a policy that creates random windfalls as a result of manipulation of financial markets for no better reason than some lunatic academic thinks that this is going to make capitalism better. And that's uh, exactly what we have today. Now, how are the people in America ever going to be sold on capitalism when it's so obvious the system is rigged? And I don't say that from some kind of conspiracy point of view. I say that because Wall Street is cheek by jowl with the Fed. Wall Street demanded this. Wall Street said it would have a hissy fit if they didn't do it. Bernanke is weak, and the rest of that crowd around him is even weaker. I mean, did you see the vote yesterday? Set Bernanke aside. It's 10 to 1. Ten sheep voted for this uh, abomination on the uh, open market committee. So uh, given that kind of performance... Uh, it is very obvious to me that uh, our system now is simply riddled with trading windfalls, arbitrage of the next move, the next signal, uh, the next uh, slight variation uh, or of utterance that's coming out of the Fed. Uh, the next uh, part of my indictment is that uh, they have now taken money printing and bond buying so far off the deep end I can't even see it anymore. And, you know, after a while, we get used to hearing, you know, 40 billion buy or QE1 uh, was 1.2, QE2 was 600 billion. Now this one is 40 billion a month, but it's really 80 because they were already buying 40 billion of MBS to replace uh, uh, the ones that are uh, rolling off. But let me just give a couple of statistical dimensions of this so that you can see that the Fed is all over this. It's smothering the capital markets and there may not be anything left uh, very long if we can get to 214 when Bernanke, uh, terms, uh, his term has expired. There couldn't be anybody worse I could, that anybody could imagine to a point, uh, I, I don't believe. But the point is, if you just look at the mortgage-backed security buying, and what are they doing in the mortgage market? We've already wrecked the housing market. We've already wrecked mortgage finance. We've already created this massive disaster that came in 205 to 208 and then in the aftermath and so forth. But now they're in there driving down the yield, driving up the price, distorting and contorting further the housing market. But here's how bad it's going to be. These, after all, everything we supposedly learned from the crisis of 207 and 208, uh, uh, Freddie, Fannie, and Ginny May are still alive and kicking down in Washington. Uh, they, you know, they've eaten alive about 180 billion of taxpayer money so far, but they're all uh, uh, still functioning. In fact, that's the only uh, part of the housing finance system that's left. But 
The point is they're still issuing 140 billion of new mortgage-backed securities a month. And with the policy announced yesterday, the Fed is going to be buying 30 billion from before, the so-called roll-off. Now it's adding 40 billion. So it's going to be buying 50% of every mortgage-backed security issued by the entire complex of these Washington-based monsters who are using the taxpayer's credit uh, to stamp guaranteed on these uh, mortgage-backed securities. Uh, 50% of it now is going to be bought by the Fed. Another dimension of it is the following. I, I like this one, and I know uh, it's uh, something that probably a lot of you may be aware of, but I think the statistic is remarkable. The Fed opened for business in November 1914, and it took them 93 years till September 15, to be exact, 208, to accumulate a balance sheet of $900 billion. And, you know, that was through uh, two world wars, uh, a lot of unnecessary wars, um, through uh, the Great Society, uh, guns and butter, through the Reagan deficit disasters that I had some uh, knowledge and familiar, familiarity with and so forth, uh, through the George Bush fiscal catastrophe uh, that we had uh, in the last eight years. But through that entire period, it took that long for the Fed to accumulate $900 billion of balance sheet, mostly government securities, you know, of one uh, maturity or another. In seven weeks of sheer panic, after Lehman went down, and the next day they found an excuse to bail out AIG when they couldn't find one the day before, in seven weeks, Bernanke doubled the size of the balance sheet of the Fed. He did in seven weeks another $900 billion that had taken 93 years uh, to uh, generate uh, in the first instance. And then in the first 13 weeks after the Lehman event, the uh, balance sheet of the Fed went to $2.5 trillion, which means uh, it almost tripled. Uh, in 13 weeks uh, relative to 93 years of history. So it tells you that something is way out of kilter. There is some lunatic doctrine. There are some madmen in charge of the printing press who uh, have no idea that, uh, you know, uh, simply printing money uh, can't possibly uh, cause any uh, good and will most certainly generate a huge amount of bad. After all, if it were so simple as what this open market committee is saying, there's PhDs on there. I, you know, I, there's, there must be something wrong in the water supply at Princeton. I, I can't figure out, uh, you know, if you're there long enough, you must get brain damage or something. I, I can't figure out where these people uh, are coming from. But if it were so damn easy, why don't we just stop working? Why don't we just stop worrying and have the Fed print $8 trillion worth of balance sheet, literally drop it out of a helicopter, as Bernanke once advocated, and our job would be one hour today to pick up enough money to get by and then do the rest of the day, uh, you know. Uh, because I, I, that's where it's leading. This isn't, you know, it used to be sort of on the margin, well, you know, should you have M1 growing at 4.5% or Three, uh, that, you know, that was, it was a stupid debate, but at least it was fair. Now they're printing it with such reckless abandon, with such enormous magnitudes, 
that if this continues, there will be a $4 trillion federal balance sheet, uh, by, I mean, a Federal Reserve balance, $4 trillion Federal Reserve balance sheet uh, by uh, 214, when hopefully uh, Bernanke's term will be up. Uh, obviously, uh, the uh, point that is clear to everyone is that what's happening at the Fed today is Keynesian financial central planning on steroids, and the worst thing is, it's done by 12, 12 unelected members of the Federal Open Market Committee who therefore don't have to answer to anyone. And they have long terms. And so it's even worse than the old style fiscal Keynesianism that uh, you got from Samuelson and all the rest of them. Because at least then, Lyndon Johnson had to go to Congress and try to persuade them to run these deficits and they were reluctant to do it. Uh, you know, back then, even Nixon, who uh, was totally out of control on the fiscal issue, said we're all Keynesians now. But he even, uh, at one point, uh, had to cut spending and raise taxes because uh, it took at least some uh, democratic assent. But today, we have 12 people who are self-appointed monetary central planners who believe they're in charge of the entire economy who have no clue that they don't know what the real growth potential of the U.S. economy is with $53 trillion worth of debt on top of it, with a leverage ratio of 3.5 rather than 1.5 after doing a 30-year national LBO. How do they know what the growth, real growth potential is of the economy anymore until we have a cleansing and a liquidation of all of this malinvestment, all of this massive debt, all of these distortions that have built up. They don't know, but they're presuming they know, and that's why they're printing money, because they're trying to get the economy to be at the potential growth rate that they uh, 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 decree as possible. They uh, said yesterday, we're going to give the, the statement yesterday, and this is why I call it QEI, is we're going to print money and we're going to ne- never stop until the unemployment rate comes down to where we want it. Well, how do they know what the full employment rate is in an economy that has been as damaged, impaired uh, as this one has been? That we all know the full the unemployment rate doesn't even measure anything. I mean, it's just like uh, nonsense coming out of the BLS. Everybody knows that people are dropping out of the labor force. The denominator is uh, stagnant, uh, and so therefore they're using a statistic that most sensible people would never use even to manage their own little investment portfolio, they're trying to run a $15 trillion economy uh, on a number that's that uh, flaky and shaky. And so, therefore, they have done something that I find really outrageous, and that is yesterday, it was almost like, you know, Congress is making us do it, okay? Yeah, we're printing a hell of a lot of money. We're sucking up everything inside in terms of the Treasury market, the MBS market, yeah, we're, we're probably trying to levitate the Russell 2000 and so forth. But we have to do it because we have a mandate from Congress that says maximum uh, employment uh, and price stability. Well, the point is, if you ever read that, it doesn't say you need an 8% unemployment rate or 4% or 5.8762% unemployment. There's nothing in there. That's an excuse in order to simply take charge, take control, uh, become uh, the monetary politburo of the U.S. economy. So uh, this is a worse kind of Keynesianism because there's no check on it whatsoever. It's just uh, 12 uh, people uh, utterly out of control. And therefore, I believe, and this is my last point, that it's leading to a constitutional crisis. Um, 
it is going to be more evident to people with each passing day that you do have an unelected uh, dozen people running this economy, ruining the capital markets, crushing savers, allowing Washington to run massive debts without any carry costs, creating windfalls, crony capitalist windfalls for all the smart speculators who have uh, a little inside knowledge about what's going on. Turning capitalism because they're, print, they're creating free money, they're turning the free market into a doomsday machine. And uh, I think when that begins to uh, uh, settle in and people realize how out of control this is, uh, and hopefully the Republicans will finally wake up after all these years of sleepwalking, um, maybe uh, the issue will come uh, to a head. I'm not counting on it. I'm somewhat of a pessimist. But yesterday was so far off the deep end that maybe it's a wake-up call the country finally needs. Thank you. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ranked gold mining region. Sandgold's most recent gold discovery, the Shoreline Basalt Mining Unit, is already in production at more than 75,000 ounces per year. And Sandgold continues to pursue nearby targets within one of Manitoba's most prospective gold mining trends, the Rice Lake Gold Belt. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol is SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www.sandgold.ca.